Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. What's up and welcome in. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights at 7 on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Open phone lines for you at 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Snapchat, SnapJHood. Also on Instagram, IGJHood as we broadcast live. From our first Midwest Bank Studios. We will hear from Stacey King, who uh, covers the NBA as the color analyst for the Chicago Bulls. We'll get his thoughts, the three-time NBA champion, coming up in a few moments here on ESPN 1000. Also, David Schoenfeld, who covers the Major League Baseball landscape uh, from ESPN.com. We'll get his thoughts about some of the storylines around baseball, Cubs, Sox, and everything else right here on the program. So glad that you're with us here. And um, say what's up to you guys watching on Facebook Live as well. As we uh, talk some NBA, um, I noticed today at the at the gym. Here's here's what Kawhi Leonard brings, right? Kawhi Leonard with that last second shot to put the Toronto Raptors in a whole different stratosphere in the Eastern Conference Finals. It was such a great play because that ball just kept dancing and dancing and dancing on the rim, and then Raptors, here we go. They get it to Leonard. Drives right, down to the baseline, fall away for the win. Got it! Danced on the rim and hit four rims and went down. Kawhi Leonard's shot went up in the air and hit the rim. It bounced on the rim before going through the bucket. Toronto wins 92-90. It's on to Milwaukee. Conference final. <laughs> right there on TSN 1050. Uh, Paul Jones on the call is amazing. That that play. I saw kids the, at the gym today, and they were trying. They were, all they were doing is shooting a baseline fall away jumper, trying to make that ball dance on the rim. It just shows you the influence of just seeing grown-ups, seeing what they did and say, I want to do that too. Now they want to make that uh, a shot in their repertoire. <laughs> Which is so funny, but it just shows you the, the just uh, how that resonates with so many people watching that game, especially young people. I thought that that was that was really cool to see that today. I was like, wow, it's amazing. They're trying to do that ex- same exact shot. By the way, I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, the Chicago Bears 
you know, we clearly know that they are looking for a kicker. We know that they're going to solve the kicking situation. It really doesn't come down to the kicker, I don't think, this upcoming season. It comes down to how the team has matured even from last year. I talked to Alex Brown, uh, who was with the Bears for a long time, working for NBC Sports Chicago, about the Bears. And he he kind of compares the Bears to the team that was a runner-up for the Super Bowl last year, the L.A. Rams. I, I almost like to say with our coaching and um, how our offense can – kind of hits you in a lot of different ways. There isn't one person on offense, maybe Tariq Cohen, that you just kind of want to take away. Um, but you see games where Allen Robinson is, he has the, he's the guy that catches 11 balls. And then Tariq Cohen is the guy. And then you got a game where uh, you look at Jordan Howard, and he's the guy who runs for a buck 40. Um, there's a lot of different guys that can hurt you on this offense. So I don't think you can kind of zero in on one. So I think that's a positive for, for our offense. Our defense is way better than theirs, than uh, the Rams. So I actually think we might be slightly ahead of them, even though right now we're sitting at home and they're in the Super Bowl. So um, I think we I think we match up well. We got some really dominant players, not just up front. Like with them, they have some good players in the secondary. They got a dominant player um, on the defensive line um, and Aaron Donald. And then Sue, when he wants to be, he can be a dominant player. But at every level, we have a dominant player, whether that's on the D-line, the linebacker position, and in the secondary, we have one, some of them, some we have two dominant players. So I think we're way past them in, uh, on defense. And if they're ahead of us on offense, it's not by much. So I think we're there, man. Some thoughts there from Alex Brown. He sees that the Bears and Rams are pretty close. We'll see what happens this upcoming season. Also, you know the hottest of hot takes. When you make a move or two to try to get better, um, you get Nate Burleson talking about how the Browns are going to be in the AFC Championship game. People have trouble booking fights because they don't know where the games are going to be played. This is it. Playoffs, write this down. I've talked a lot about the Cleveland Browns this offseason, of course, and I said that Baker Mayfield is my dark horse MVP and predicted mm. that they'll win the AFC North, but I have something that's even juicier. You got me. So, for my 2019 spoiler alert, the Cleveland Browns will be playing in the 2019 AFC Championship Stop. game. What are you okay? Doing? For all you Browns fans, are like, oh, January's coming around. I'm going to go book. Don't you book those vacations, man, because your Browns will still be playing. They will be one game away from the Super Bowl. Yes, I'm saying it. Go ahead and mark it down. <laughs> May football talk. He's got the Browns in the AFC title game. We'll see what happens. Glad you're with me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We turn now to a three-time NBA champion, color analyst for the Chicago Bulls. It is the great Stacy King, and Stacy joins me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Stacy, as always, I appreciate your time. Now, what a great Mother's Day! Two game sevens and Kawhi's heroics. Man, what'd you think of that Kawhi game winner? Oh, it was big time performance. It kind of reminded you a little bit of of uh, you know clutch performers, Kobe, you know Michael, you know guys who hit big shots in big moments. That that's going to go down in the history of the Toronto Raptors basketball. Whether they whether they get to pass the Eastern Conference Finals or not, that's something to build on for them and uh, for their history. You know, I wonder about, Stacey, is does Toronto's momentum in the playoffs increase the chances of Kawhi staying in Toronto? Well, I think it does. I think the, you know, the further they go, the better chance it is for him to stay there. Um, I think 
you know, it's a it's a type of team that has a chance to come out of the Eastern Conference for many years to come. You got uh, Masai Ujiri, who's a great GM, who's done a great job of putting all the good pieces around, not afraid to make bold moves, you know, to improve his team. And I think he's seeing the camaraderie of that team. Like, you know, I, I think he's starting to feel at home. I still think there's a chance, and I don't know how much the chance it is, but. You know, I think he. You know, I think depending on how it was, I think there's still a chance that he'd want to go back to play in L.A. He wants to play close to home. He'd be leaving a lot of money on the table as far as max money is concerned, Jay Hood. But at the same time, man, there's no price uh, on anything when you're talking about being close to home, being by your family, and then taking that Southern California sun. That shot, though, at the end. That, I mean, that thing danced on the rim. I don't know. I saw kids in the gym today trying to practice that ball. That's how the influence of Kawhi <laughs> in that play. There was kids in the corner just shooting, just trying to make that ball deaden out to be able to hit the rim the way that did. That was just a great performance. Well, well I tell you what, it seemed like it sat on the rim for two days. And yeah. um, <laughs> those are the kinds that, you know, when you're the visiting team, those are the kind that really, really hurt because that was a hard-fought series. You know, and I really thought Philadelphia could have won that series. I thought they were in position when they were up, um, and they didn't take advantage of it. They, they they relied too much on shooting threes and outside shots. I felt like they got away from establishing Embiid in the post, where that was a that was a terrible matchup for Toronto when he decided to go into the post and use his size and strength, you know, over Gasol or whoever they put up against him. I think he spent too much time on the perimeter, and uh, you know that last that last four minutes of the game, man, they had a hard time running their offense. So that goes back, as we talked to Stacey King with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app, that goes to your philosophy, and you've said this before on shows that we hosted together, where just because you can doesn't mean that you should all the time. Like, meaning that Embiid can, can knock down the three doesn't necessarily mean that he should be staying out on the perimeter just because he's a big man that can. Inside, he could be uh, such a bigger threat. He did have 11 rebounds. He did have 21 points, but he was one for six from three. Imagine if some of those points were in the painted area. Well, and, and, and then, you know, you have to understand, too, as a team, and as a as a as a organization, that the playoffs are different than the regular season. You've got 82 games to do all that, but when it comes down to the final four, Jay Hood, it, it's you've got to execute. You've got to find ways to get easier baskets because the fact that you're playing such good defensive teams, you're playing teams that have opportunities to prepare for you longer. They can take away the things you want to do, and and the one thing they can't take away is a dominant post player, a guy that can go in there and force doubles and triple teams to then be able to, and he's a good passer. It's not like he's a terrible passer out of the post. He's a very good passer. It enables guys to be open. Jay, you know, J.J. Reddick is open a little bit more. Tobias Harris, guys cutting to the basket because the focus is always there. I mean, you look at prime example, Jay, who's Giannis in Milwaukee. You know, they built a team to put around Giannis and say, hey, listen, we know you can't shoot right now. We're not worrying about that. But with your athleticism and the way you dominate getting to the basket, it will force teams to have to try to wall you in. And Boston tried that, got away with it in the first game, and Giannis really didn't figure it out until game two. But he says, hey, no, if you're going to put four guys in the paint against me, fine. we got four shooters. At any given time, Budenheiser trots four different shooters out there that can knock down three. And that's one of the reasons why they dominated Boston four straight games.
Yeah, I was also very impressed with Middleton, too. Seems like with each series, Stacey, that he's elevated his play. The numbers show it, too, that from the outside, he has really been able to get to another level in that Boston series. It, you know, you, as, as you always eloquently say, you can, always have a, you can always have a Batman, but you always need a Robin and sometimes an Alfred to be able to get to where yeah. you need to be. Yeah, nobody wants to be Alfred, though. <laughs> yes, but, but but your but your point to Middleton is he's a he's a guy that understands his role. He understands what he means to this team. He understands that Giannis is the star guy. There's no jealousy there. He's going to get his money regardless, whether it's with Milwaukee or anywhere on the free agent market. So that's never a concern with him. You can tell this kid has improved every year he's been in the league, and there are there have been a much better team. When he's on the floor, when he's, I remember when he missed a couple of seasons ago with that torn groin and he missed the majority of the season and they still got to the playoffs, but they weren't the same team they are now. I mean, this is a different Chris Middleton. He can post up. He's very efficient with when he's looking for a shot. He doesn't take a lot of bad shots. He takes everything within the flow. And he's one of the few guys, um, I put him in that same class as Harden, you know, Damian Lillard who can come off the dribble and just stop behind the three-point line and just knock down a, a deep three that's just gut-wrenching to the other team. Stacey King with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We talk about the NBA playoffs. On the other side of the tracks within the Western Conference with Portland defeating Denver, I was I was pulling for Portland, Stacey, because I, I – I just think that even now in 2019, it's crazy, but even now, Damian Lillard and, and C.J. McCollum don't get their due. But I think that just being in this level, in this stratosphere, is going to help them. I, I love the come-from-behind victory on the road to pull it out to be able to beat Denver yesterday. Well, I'm so happy for my guy, Terry Stotts. You know, he's a former Oklahoma Sooner, mm-hmm. a good friend of mine, and this is a guy who at some point early in his career was always on the hot seat. And he's always kept Portland, you know, in that four or five range of that really deep Western Conference. And to see them come through and, and find a way to win, it, I don't think people understand how hard it is to win a game seven on the road. It's the hardest thing, especially in a place like Denver when you're battling the, uh, the altitude, that fan base, and then you're, you're battling a young, hungry team. Uh, their guards have been carrying them for the last few years. And I think, you know, losing Nurkic, I think a lot of people count them out. Like, they'll be lucky if they get – to the first or second round. I don't think anybody had this team going, you know, out past the second round. And I think that shows you the resiliency of this team. You know, it shows you the leadership of Damon Lillard. You know, he sees C.J. McCollum having it going yesterday, and you didn't see him forcing up shots. You saw him still be aggressive, but he understood the situation. He understood, hey, you know what, C.J.'s got it going. Let me get him the ball. And when you see young players do that, you know, that that's really impressive because, you know, they put their they put themselves behind the needs of the team. And that's why I'm so happy not only that my guy, you know, Terry Stotts is there, but for Damon Lillard and CJ McCollum, who people have been trying to trade one of those guys for the last two or three years saying you can't win with a backcourt that scores as much as they do, but they're proving everybody wrong. I'm still getting these this these texts and these tweets every now and then about uh what happened over the weekend with the Warriors and the Rockets and, and my response has been, Stacey, well, you know, from the Rockets' standpoint, somebody's got to be the Sonics from your era. Somebody's got to be the Suns. Somebody's got to be the Jazz. If you if you can't overcome, then you're just going to be one of those teams that's very good, but just can't get over the hump. I mean, the the Warriors showed what they what they are. Even without Durant, they still are very talented. People forget without Durant and without uh, Boogie Cousins, this team was still solid. Well, and here's the thing: Steph Curry just reminded everybody how great he was. Mm-hmm. And, and same thing with Clay Thompson. I think those guys 
they understood when they got Kevin Durant. You know, you, you're looking at a guy in Steph Curry who was back-to-back MVPs of the NBA and with, with a star-studded league. And here you get Kevin Durant, a former MVP, comes in, and they, they relinquish the star role. They don't care. They're like, hey, let, you know what, Katie? You're the guy. You're going to get all the shots. We don't care. We're just about winning. And then the biggest game in, in probably Golden State history, you lose a guy like Kevin Durant, you're playing a team that's got you on the ropes, that you haven't won in the series in Houston yet. You know, the home team, the home team has won every game. And then you have to go in there without your arguably your best player, arguably the top one or two player in the league. No one thinks you're going to get that game. You're going to be a force of game seven. And then even with, with that in mind, forcing a game seven, no one thought you were going to win that series because Houston had the momentum. And Steph Curry just reminded everybody, Jay Hood, how good he is. Clay Thompson just reminded you to let everybody know he's a max player as well. You know, he's not a he's a great complimentary piece, but he has star quality. He can step up in big moments, and those guys continue to step up in big moments. And to do that without Kevin Durant, man, that tells you how great that team is. And the Rockets still trying to figure out who they are. I mean, they they keep trying, but I mean, the problem is they're not the Warriors. This is this is no different than no, just no. you know you know second I, best I taking the on the problem, best. I think, I think the biggest problem with them, Jay Hood, is their bench was depleted. They didn't have the same kind of bench and the depth that they normally had in the past, and I think that hurt them. You know, they didn't have guys coming off the bench like, you know, that, you know, Trevor Ariza, uh, Ma Butte, who Bob Butte could come in, defend guys, and lock guys down and, and keep the score where you need it to be. They're a high octane offense. They're always going to be that under Dan Tony. But I think the difference with them, they had to battle injuries early in the season. James Harden had to carry the load for so long, and I just think they ran out of gas. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a situation and they can't beat the Warriors. I mean, it looks like that on paper, but I think what it basically is 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 that they have yet to find out how to put you know a game together when it counts. You know, when the games don't count, they're you know in the regular season they're running through everybody, but when you get to the playoffs, the last few years they have not been able to to figure out how to get it done when it counts. And I think it takes a while. It takes a while for a team to get over the hump. I mean, we, we had that same situation on our champ- before our championship run with, with Detroit. Detroit had it with Boston. You know, they just seemed like they had your number. And then at some point, you figure it out. At some point, you're able to, to find a way to break through. I think they're close. I think they've been close for the last two years. And it's so unfortunate that those teams had to play in the second round. I mean, that was, that was the kind of game you wish you could have seen in the finals uh, with a healthy Kevin Durant and that team in the finals. But, but I think the fans were treated to basically, you know, great basketball throughout the playoffs, even in the first round, Jay Hood. Stacey, um, even though over the years I've tried to talk you into uh, to coaching again and you just won't do it, um, <laughs> I, I know that. Because I know I've seen you work, man. I, I know what you can do. Don't get it twisted Jay. now. I know. Day hood, I'm telling you, I'm not quitting my day job, man. I understand. I love my day job, man, and I mean, I love coaching. Don't get me wrong, and I, that was that was a goal of mine at some point. But you know, now that I've been doing this now 13, 14 years, you know, this is this is awesome. What I do, I get the best seat in the house. I get to do the team. I I was drafted by my hometown team, even though I'm not from Chicago originally. I was drafted here as a 22 year old. I got the best job in the world. Uh, Chicago Bulls, a great organization. They allow me to do be me, have my personality, who, who want to leave that job? I mean, I mean honestly, I mean, I, I've had opportunity to go do, you know, national stuff. 
I love Chicago. I love the fans. I love the fan base. They're very passionate. And the one thing I would tell fans, I tell fans all the time when they ask me how the Bulls are going to be, I'm like, hey, listen, we got a great young nucleus. We got a chance to get a good pick, hopefully, at the top three or four uh, tomorrow. Uh, Horace Grant is going down there to try to bring us good luck. So I'm putting a lot of pressure on G. If he comes back and we get the 10th pick, he's never going again. Um, and then on, <laughs> on top of that, on top of that, this is this team is going in the right direction. If we can stay, if we can stay healthy, I know people get tired of hearing that the same cliche. If 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 if. Well, it's true. If if marketing can come out next year and not get injured the first 20, 30 games of the season, Zach Levine is healthy. You know, guys have improved. Chris Dunn has improved uh, on his jump shot and his decision making. Um, you know, Wendell Carter is going to improve in year two. Man, we got a chance to do something very special. I mean, especially the goal next year um, should be the playoffs. You should be looking to get, whether it's the sixth, seventh, eighth seed, your, your whole goal should be get to the playoffs. And that's the mindset that should be because I know as a player, you know, I would get tired of watching games and have my season end in April and watching yeah. these teams play and seeing how exciting the playoffs are. The object is to get in there and try to win a championship. And I think they've, they've got the young nucleus in a few years that they can do that. But I think the next step for this team is to to get to the playoffs, and 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 that that should be the goal. And I think they will next year. Well, well, having said that, um, even though you probably won't be going back to coaching, but if you did, I know that in the back of your mind, you have a, about two or three assistant coaches in your mind that you'd say, "Boy, if I ever came back, these are the guys I would roll with." And here's the thing, and here's the question: With that, the question is, is that if you were offered a, a head coaching job and there was an assistant in place that was hired before you, would you take that job, Frank Vogel? Because Jason Kidd was uh, already in place in Los Angeles before Frank Vogel took that job. If it's me, Stacey, I don't. I, I got my guys. I need a, my guys. I trust versus someone the organization hires before that. Well, that's that's a delicate situation because mm-hmm. the fact that Jason Kidd has been a coach in a couple of different places. Uh, Frank Vogel's been a coach in a couple of different places, and it, it wasn't like it was Frank Vogel's hire. You know, it's different if Frank says, "Hey, I want Jason Kidd." But he, Jason Kidd was planted on there. And, and the reason why, I think, and, and they're, they're selling it to the public, is that they want Jason Kidd to work, be a developmental guy to Lonzo Ball. You know, they mm-hmm. got, you know, because arguably one of the best point guards in the history of the game, you know, tutelage, uh, you know, Lonzo Ball and some of these younger guards. And I think that's the way it looks. You know, but with that said, you know, um, you know if, you're, if you're a coach, you, you want to bring your guys on and, and and guys you trust, guys that know your system. You know, it's not like Frank Vogel is his first-year coaching, like you had Fred Hoiberg, Fred's first-year coaching. So you want to help him out as much as possible by bringing experience in. But a guy like Vogel, who's been to the playoffs, who coached Indiana, he's been in Orlando, he's been a top assistant, you know, I think he deserves the the right to, to be able to pick his own staff. I understand what the Lakers are doing with Jason Kidd, and again, I'm not I'm not in the organization. I'm just a guy that's in the chief seat. Um, you know, that's tough. And if I was Frank Vogel, I see why Ty Lue passed on the job because, you know, here you are, you get Ty Lue who went to the finals, you know, I don't know how many times, won a championship, and you offer him three years. And then a guy who comes from the college rank, uh, Beeline from Michigan, who's 60-something years old, can get a five-year deal with no NBA pedigree. So, you know, how does that look? You know, and, and, and same thing with Vogel. You give an experienced NBA coach who, who's been in this league, who's won uh, a three-year deal, 
you know, and you got to look at that and say, wow, what, you know, how is that fair? You know, I can understand a first-year coach, you know, because teams don't want to get locked into paying coaches, you know, five years. They, but the going rate, Hood, and you see this, you know, the going rate is five years. You know, guys get five-year deals. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of experience you got. That's been the norm, you know, the last, you know, you know, at least since Steve Kerr and those guys came in the league. And so you expect that if you're Frank Vogel to have that too, understanding that you've been in this league, you paid your dues, you've been a head coach, you've won. Um, you expect the same kind of, uh, you know, the same kind of pay scale that the other coaches are getting too. Well, here's I've got my fingers and my toes and my corns crossed for the number one pick. I'm waiting for Ho, Ho Grant to bring it home tomorrow. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. We just need to be in the top four. And, and you know what? But I will say this, you know, the Bulls have been, you know, the Bulls have done very well the last few years of finding guys after the top three or four. You know, you got Lowry that was uh, six or seven. You got, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. who's proven to be a, a very good young player. So they have, you know, finding Jimmy Butler late in the rounds. And so they've been able to find some good players. And, and just like any other team in the NBA, uh, teams hit and teams miss. That's what that's what this makes the draft so good. But hoping they get in the top four to get one of these guys who I think, you know, are, are generational talents. You know, I look at John Morant, who I would love to have uh, if the Bulls don't get number one. Um, they get number two. And then R.J. Barrett. I think a lot of people – have got off the R.J. Barrett bandwagon because of all the things that Zion did at Duke. You know, this is a kid who I believe, you know, in, in five you know five years you're going to be looking back and going, holy cow, you know, this kid's kind of like Jason Tatum. You know, Jason Tatum kind of slipped under. Everybody knew he was a good player, but no one knew he was going to be this good. And then you see a guy like R.J. Barrett who's the same way. You know, you got guys that are more flashy than him, but he's got NBA pedigrees. You know, his, his, his uh, godfather, Steve Nash, He's been around the NBA game. His dad played overseas. He played – I think he had played the NBA for a little bit. But he's been around pro game, you know, and he's, he's been arguably the best Canadian player since he was probably 14 years old. And that's over Andrew Wiggins, who everybody thought was the next, you know, the next hit player. But this kid's got the mentality. He's tough-minded. Um, you know, he just he – just, you could tell that this kid loves to play. So same thing with the other two guys I, I mentioned, Zion and, and Josh. So – Hopefully the Bulls will get one of those three guys. It'll be great pieces to, to put in and, and get in play, and uh, it'll be exciting. My friend, as always, I appreciate you coming on the show, and I'm looking forward to the lottery and the rest of these NBA playoffs. Well, you know what, Jay? You know, you're the only person that could get me from, you know, get me on the air and, and get on the radio while I'm in the middle of trying to get my summer beach body ready. <laughs> I'm in the gym right now, and I'm up here throwing up iron, you know, trying to get my beach body ready. And I can't, I honestly say this, there's not too many people that can get me to take my headphones off and come talk on the radio when I'm in a dead sweat trying to get ready to get that beach body ready, baby. Because me and Funk, Funk has already got his, he's already got his Speedo outfit ready. And so I'm trying to catch up with him. I'm not going to be wearing no Speedo, but I'm wearing the regular beach shorts that hang all the way down to your knees. But Funk's going to throw on the, he's going to throw on the Speedo. And he's already got the speedo body ready, so I'm, I'm trying to catch up with my man. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> All right, man. That's not a pretty sight. I'm just going to no, throw that not. out there. Now that, now that I said that, Jay Hood, that's not really a pretty sight. I'm sorry if I scared any of uh, the Chicago Bulls fans. I'm sorry. I, I just thought about what I just said. You know, sometimes I'm unfiltered. Things yes. just come out, and I just thought about that. I'm like, oh, that's not really a pretty sight. Speedos, <laughs> funk, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, boy. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Always a good pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on, big dog. All right. Thank you. Stacy King with me, Jonathan Hood. You're listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Jonathan Hood. And I got what it takes to rock the mic right yeah. On ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. And the pitch. Swing and a ball ripped. Left center field. Well struck on its way. And that is gone. Just got out. Into the first row of the bleachers in left center field. Chris Bryant stays hot. That axe handle bat is doing him right. Wanted to see Shad. Swing and a bouncer to short. Collected by Baez. Slings on the move. Ball game. Cubs win it. Cubs take two of three against the Brewers. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. As heard right here on ESPN 1000, the Cubs defeat the Brewers two out of three. Glad you're with me, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Follow me on Twitter, twitter.com, tweetjhood. We turn now to a friend of the program, David Schoenfield, who covers Major League Baseball. Senior MLB writer for ESPN.com joins me, Jonathan Hood, on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Hello, Dave. Hey, good evening. How are you doing? Doing very well, thank you. Um, saw a column that you wrote recently that we talked about on the air. That that was really great. Um, talking about uh, the differences in the American League and National League. As an American League guy, just like you were growing up, by the way, um, I have been an American League guy, being a White Sox fan. But I would, after reading your column, I would admit that I think that the scales have tilted a little bit toward the National League as far as fun uh, and interesting young players in the league. Talk about that column. Yeah, no doubt. In fact, I heard from a couple Cubs fans that I didn't mention the Cubs in that column somehow, so I apologize <laughs> uh, for that. They're certainly uh, fun to watch this year. Yeah, I think the last couple years we've seen not only did the National League finally win interleague play last year for the first time since, I believe, 2003, so that's an easy argument that just they're the better league from top to bottom. But certainly this year, with just about every team except the Marlins going for it, top to bottom, or at least 1 through 14, it's very interesting. But it's really... All that young talent that you mentioned that that tips the scales, you know, with, with guys like Ronald Acuna and Juan Soto, and we're having Cody Bellinger having a monster breakout season. He's still only 23 years old, you know. So yeah, I think you combine the interest, the young players, the big free agents like Bryce Harper and Manny Machado stayed in the National League. It just is a much more interesting league in 2019. Sidebar: Before I ask you about the Cubs and the White Sox. All those teams in the National League, even the Reds, by the way, with a, you know, again, a puncher's chance. We know that the Cubs, Brewers, and possibly the Cardinals are the favorites in that central. But the point is, though, if you're Derek Jeter, aren't you embarrassed? I mean, I, I mean seriously, not showing up to the winter meetings, Dave, I mean, and all these other teams, again, they might be under 500, but at least you know the direction. And with the Marlins, it's, that's, that's bad. New ballpark, no fans in the ballpark. That's, that's not good. No, they're beyond horrible, Jonathan. In fact, I'm at my computer right now working on a thing for tomorrow morning. Their offense, averaging 2.69 runs per game, has a chance to be one of the worst of all time when you compare it to, to the league average. I mean, the Astros are averaging almost two home runs a game, 
the Marlins are barely scoring over two runs a game. Um, yeah, they're a complete disaster. Their, their starting pitching actually is somewhat acceptable, but the lineup is just so feeble. You know, I think Neil Walker, and he's an old guy, he's the only guy having a halfway decent year. It's really an embarrassment. They're on pace for 41 wins, which is fewer than the Orioles had last year, and the Orioles are one of the worst teams in a long time. So, yeah, the Marlins, they're so many years away from even being a competitive team. I don't even know if Derek Jeter is going to stick it out. Is he going to stick it out five, six years before they might even have a chance to compete? I don't know if I see that happening. I don't either. As we talked to David Schoenfield with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app, what uh, what stands out most about the Cubs, their resurgence from early April to where they are right now? Well, I mean, obviously guys like Baez and Contreras have been hit, hitting all year. You know, I think the recent outburst from Chris Bryant is huge. I was a little concerned those first few weeks. He wasn't really driving ball, driving the ball. And most notably, he wasn't pulling the ball. And home run hitters usually pull the ball. That's how you get your home runs. Um, so I was a little concerned that maybe there was still something going on with the shoulder that wasn't allowing him to, you know, yank those fastballs to left field and left center. But looks like he's figured that out. Looks like the shoulder was an issue. Maybe it was just, you know, timing from not playing last year. Just a slow start. That can happen, right? We always overreact to the first, you know, two, three, four weeks of the season. So adding Bryant back to what we thought he was supposed to be to the middle of that lineup with everybody else, plus Jason Hayward doing okay, you know, Right now, that offense is clicking on all cylinders. So that's that's what stood out so far for the Cubs to me. It's a final now over a guaranteed rate. The White Sox defeat the Indians 5-2 to two, uh, in that, he was about feeble. That's not really a, a great division, but yet the Sox are also in that in that mindset of trying to rebuild. I think the Indians are, are just okay, and you see Minnesota playing well. But I, I want to get your, your thoughts about the Sox. First and foremost, Tim Anderson. Is this an emerging star, Tim Anderson? What do you think? Uh, I, I hope so, you know, because he's a fun, you know, exciting player, brings a lot of energy. You know, I think he's a little over his head right now. Um, you know, that strikeout-to-walk ratio, it's still terrible. I'd like to see a little more patience at the plate, because that's only going to make him better if he's swinging at strikes instead of balls off the plate. So... You know, pitchers are always going to be able to exploit that over-aggressiveness of him. And I get it. He's got kind of a unique ability to hit balls off the plate, but I don't think he's a Javier Baez in that regard. So I think some of those numbers are going to go down. I hope he gets a little more patient because I really want this kid to be a star. Not only do the White Sox need him, but he's good for baseball. He's such an exciting player. Carlos Rodon is out with Tommy John surgery. Nate Jones also is going to be out as well. So uh, as as the Sox try to rebuild, it's like two steps forward and now three steps back because what is considered their ace or their best pitcher now is out with Tommy John. So I wonder how that uh, how that retards the progress of the White Sox. Yeah, it's it's really it's really too bad because we you know we're also seeing Lucas Giolito after such a disastrous year last year look like maybe he's turning the corner and then we get Rodon out and we have Ivan Nova struggling and Ronaldo Lopez can't find any consistency so you're right you know we, for everything positive that's happened for the Sox this year 
there's been a negative, and it looks like they're just going to be stuck in kind of the, the mud again in 2019. Uh, David, uh, what is what would you consider a must-watch in Major League Baseball for you? I have a team written down that I've watched a ton of. You tell me yours, <laughs> and I'll tell you mine. Well, I'm watching everything, right? That's kind of my job. But the one team that sort of intrigues me that I haven't watched for years and years is the San Diego Padres. They're not going to be in the playoffs this year. They're they're a little green, you know, a little young, but they're really exciting. Not just Manny Machado, but Fernando Tatis Jr., former White Sox prospect, I hate to remind you guys, uh, this kid is going to be a star. I mean, you know, we all the attention that was on Vlad Jr., Tatis might, I think he's going to be the better all-around player. He's going to hit for power. He can run. He's already looks like a gold-glove shortstop. He's, he's injured right now, but this kid is something else. Chris Paddock, this rookie pitcher, he's unbelievable. they got a bunch of other young guys in the rotation. Plus, they have the best farm system. So the Padres, it's just... It's a young team. They're probably a year away from being true contenders, but they're really intriguing team to watch. Good quality Don Orsillo broadcast there from San yes. Diego for the, <laughs> for the San Diego Padres. I, I will tell you the team, besides the Cubs and Sox that I've watched, number three on my list is I have watched, for whatever reason, probably because we're in the central time zone and we, we get off the air late here, um, I've watched so much, so many Dodgers baseball games, yeah. a ton um, I think it's might as might be as many as the White Sox actually, Dodgers, and then after that it's Milwaukee. So I've seen a, a lot of National League ball. That Dodgers team is that team. Do you feel built to? Is it built to last? Yeah, right. I mean, once you, I know the Cubs are playing great, but the Dodgers to me clearly the best team in the NL. Right. I mean, Yuen uh, Jin Ryu has become one of the top lefties in baseball. He's allowed one run. His last three starts over 25 innings. Uh, he's gone eight, eight and nine innings in those three starts. Nobody does that in 2019. He has, he's walked three guys all season. Uh, just he's kind of, I compared him to Greg Maddox, you know, the way he's pitching so far this year. Uh, but he's not even the best story. Cody Bellinger, we just mentioned, clearly the best player in the NL so far. I mean, just look at his numbers. It's like Ted Williams, nineteen forty-one, so far. Yeah, he's going to slow down. I get that, but uh, then you got Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller and Alex Verdugo's a young guy hitting over three hundred. Yeah, I'm rambling on here, but that's how good the Dodgers are. They make you ramble on. I don't know, no question. So, tell me about the Central with the Brewers, Pirates, and Cardinals. I guess I could throw the Cincinnati Reds in there as well. What What do you think, David? Of of the teams underneath the Cubs. Yeah, I think it's why I don't... I mean, the Reds, don't dismiss them. Their run differential, plus 30. They have this new pitching coach, Derek Johnson. He used to be the coach at Vanderbilt. For years, the Reds have had the worst pitching in the National League. And I think last time I checked, they're second maybe in the National League in ERA to the Dodgers. In one year, he looks like he may have turned around that entire pitching staff. Unfortunately... The offense is kind of tanked this year. Joey Votto, I hate to say it, he looks like he might be done. He just, you know, has no power anymore. But their offense was good last year, so there's hope that offense comes up. So, yeah, the Reds, you know, a good sleeper. But, look, Cubs are great. Brewers are solid. 
Cardinals are going to be there. Pirates, we'll see. They're kind of the opposite of the Reds. They're three games over 500, but minus 35 run differential. Uh, they're winning all the close games so far. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a loaded division, probably best division in baseball, top to bottom. So you gave us a sneak uh, peek on the, the Marlins. <laughs> you, you got more than 3,000 words on the Marlins. So what else? Is, can you give us a little sneak peek of, of your column? Well, it's on the Astros and the Marlins. So the Marlins with this potential all-time worst offense. The Astros, uh, so far this year, based on one of these advanced metrics, are on pace for the best offense of all time. I don't know if I completely buy that, but they're they're slugging over 500 as a team, and I know no team has done that. I only went back so far to 1980. Nobody's done it, you know, and and what was that? 49 years, 39 years. Um, so George Springer's having a great year, Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa. Um, so the Astros, they're loaded, plus they have a pretty good pitching staff. So, yeah, it's just kind of a contrast in comparison. that We have an all-time great offense and an all-time terrible offense in the same season. All right, we'll be reading your column on ESPN.com. David, as always, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Okay, you bet. David Schoenfeld, the senior MLB writer with me, Jonathan Hood, here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. This portion of Under the Hood is brought to you by Illinois Media School. Yes, Illinois Media School. You can go to the website beonair.com. That's beonair.com. Illinois Media School in Lombard, 630-916-1700. 630-916-1700. Think about it. Job placement assistance. Once you graduate, there's no excuse to get back in to school especially for something that you love. You want to be behind the scenes or in front of the microphone, in front of the camera, that's the best place to go. Illinois Media School Lombard. Again, beonair.com. Beonair.com for Illinois Media School Lombard. If it's something that's interests you, keep in mind that um, classes are still available. Schedule a tour. See if it's for you. Illinois Media School Lombard, 630-916-1700 or beonair.com. There you go, Eric. Eric, by the way, shot me a look. Because David Schoenfeld mentioned the name of Ted Williams. And what I mentioned before, remember I was talking about Christian Yelich in our last hour? I think that the more and more of the modern player breaking these Babe Ruth, Roger Hornsby, Ted Williams records, the more you can be able to relate to these numbers of 2019. When Christian Yelich is breaking all these type of numbers and we see what Mike Trout's doing, that helps baseball. Even I can't relate to Ted Williams. <laughs> I know you think I'm that old, but I'm not, right? But when you when he said Ted Williams, he didn't like that. We just know he's an iconic player. It's it's hard for us to compare him because what am I looking at? Just a number. That's all Ted Williams is to me is numbers. It's not even film. No, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, they couldn't even freeze his body correctly either, if you remember right. I do recall that, yes. So, I mean, that's that's the point. The more and more you see the Yelich's... And, and some of these other players from 2019 breaking down these numbers, the better it is for Major League Baseball and for younger people to attract themselves um, to the sport. All right. We thank you for listening and being part of the program here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Our thanks to Jesse Rogers, to Stacey King, and David Schoenfeld for being with us. Eric and uh, Sean on the other side of the glass. I talk faster than you type, sir. I was trying. I got I got SC and Schoenfeld before you finished. <laughs>
<laughs> Don't forget the Under the Hood podcast. Wherever you download your podcast, go to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. That way you can catch up to it's so many great things we have. Not just the show, but also exclusive interviews as well. Also, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday drops tomorrow, too. But that's on the Under the Hood podcast. All right, I'll talk to you soon. This is ESPN 1000. Jonathan Hood. I'm so good. On ESPN 1000.